Hey team, welcome along to another month, another webinar. It is so good that you are all coming in now. I can see that we've almost got 100 people on the live stream and it is creeping up as we go. We've got about 1,800 people registered for tonight's webinar and that makes us very excited mm. that there's potentially 1,800 people who are going to be here supporting other property investors like themselves and that's something to be excited about. Now, if you don't know who I am, my name is Ed McKnight though, you'll hear a little bit more about that in a moment. And to your right, we've got Andrew Nickel, who is the Managing Director here at Opus Partners. Now, the great thing about tonight's webinar is that we are going to hear from three real property investors who are mainly like people like you watching the webinar. Uh, we've got uh, Maddie and Adam, we've got Kathy and Alan, and we've got Nick and Christina who are going to come on and talk to us about what they are investing in. And the great thing about tonight is it's going to uh, allow you to see what other real people are doing. Now, we're going to go straight into those slides and straight into... Wait, I see Junior is saying, nice shirt, Andrew. Thank you. Thank Where, you, Junior. Nice shirt, Andrew. Where's nice shirt, Edward? <laughs> So good to see you guys all here and great that we've got some of our old favourites along. We're going to get straight into it even though we're going to have more people join as we go along. So tonight is all about the three real Kiwi investors who are going to share their property portfolios. And it is really important to mention this is a webinar but it is not personal financial advice. And what I mean by that is that Thank you, John, for saying nice shirt, Ed, as well. But what I mean by that is you shouldn't watch tonight's webinar and think, I'm going to do exactly that. Ed and Andrew are telling me to go and buy X number of properties in X region of New Zealand. Now, here is what you are going to get tonight. Yes, you are going to get the webinar for free and the recording for free. We always get that question. That is going to be released about midday tomorrow. We're also going to do a Q&A at the end, but we don't send out the slides. Now, just remember, when you're sending your chats, please make sure that you are sending it to everyone. One of the best parts about this, uh, one of the best parts about these webinars is that you get to chat back and forth right throughout the night. There's over 400 people online right now, so that means there's lots of property investor friends that you can talk back and forth with. The other thing that I just want to mention, please make sure that you put your questions in the Q&A section. That's just in the little bar at the bottom of your screen. It's really important because otherwise we often lose them by the time we get to the end of the recording or till we get to the end of the webinar. Now, if you haven't heard of us before, you might be wondering, why should I listen to these two? Uh, we are Ed and Andrew, and we host New Zealand's number one business podcast, The Property Academy, and I know that there are a lot of listeners on the show tonight. We've had 5.7 million downloads over the last three years of recording that show. On top of that, we've done over 1,200 podcasts, over 40 webinars. We own New Zealand Property Investor Magazine and Informed Investor Magazine. Our book is currently in bookstores. And last year, we spoke at over 10 property investors associations right around the country. So hopefully, we got to meet some of you guys at those events as well. No wonder we were tired last year. <laughs> You're tired last year? I'm tired right now. <laughs> now, if you don't know me, I'm Ed. I'm an economist here at Opus Partners, host of the Property Academy podcast, author and property investor, and my... Uh, 
my colleague here, Andrew Nicholl. I was going to say side piece. That's actually what I was going to say. But then I thought, no, it's sidekick, not side piece. Wow. As a financial advisor, our managing director, host the podcast, author, and a significant property investor as well. But here's the thing. Tonight's about hearing from other people, mainly not us tonight. And each investor we talk to asks, why are you doing this webinar? Now, here's the thing. It's quite impolite, or many people consider it impolite, to talk about money in New Zealand. And here's the issue if we don't talk about money. If we don't talk about money, then it's really hard to know what you should aim for. Well, what should I do? What are other people doing? And if you don't know what you should aim for, it's sometimes really hard to get started as well. So we're not talking about money. It's hard to know what to aim for. It's hard to get started. And that can often lead to a feeling of, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And if you feel like you don't know what you're doing, you're probably not going to talk about money. And there we get this great cycle again. Now, what we want to do tonight by sharing the stories of these three property investors is to break this cycle, to make it normal to talk about money. And the idea is that if you can, by the end of this webinar, say, those guys are a bit like me. <laughs> Maybe I could do that Why as well. Why have you got us there? Well, t the honest answer is that I tried searching for photos of 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 Adam uh, Adam Anderson uh, and Maddie. Did, Manny, you, did you just steal these off the internet? <laughs> I stole them off Facebook. <laughs> See the middle one, Nick and Christina. Oh, I stole it off Christina's Instagram, <laughs> and so I thought I shouldn't put her friend on there, so I put a grey circle over her face. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow so okay. hopefully by the end of tonight you're going to be able to look at one of these guys be like I like me I could do that and that might give you some motivation to, to go on so here's what's going to happen we're going to start by hearing from Adam and Maddie we're then going to hear from Nick and Christina and then Kathy and Alan and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop sharing my screen and I'm going to get uh, Adam and Maddie to turn on their uh, turn on their video, and I'm going to ask you to unmute and join us for this evening. And David, I'll get you to stop the spotlight. And first, I want to say thanks to all the uh, investors for coming along tonight. It's pretty brave to get up in front of we're at about 500 people so far and talk about what you're doing in property investment. So I do appreciate you guys coming along. Hi guys, how are you? Hey, thanks. You can hear us all okay. Yep, perfect. So let's just start off and get uh, give the listeners a bit of a feel for you for you guys. So tell us about kind of your your current dynamic at home. So so working, not working, kids, all those kind of things. Uh, we're both working full time, cool. 40, 45 hours a week. Um, no kids. No kids yet. Um, no, no kids yet. And um, been working at uh, Pack and Save for five odd years now. So. And you're both working there, right? Yeah. So you get no time apart. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and you guys um, started working with me, I think, late last year from memory. Is that right? Late yes. Late last year. And tell me a bit about what got you thinking about property investment to begin with? Because you guys are relatively young. Um, and, and to be fair, a lot of young people don't think about anything other than buying their own house. But you've you've started out, you've bought your own house. Tell me about that journey and then tell me about your decision to invest. Yeah, um, definitely owning our own house is something we've wanted for quite a while, um, something I've definitely wanted and Maddie's wanted since we were 
teenagers really. Um, and we sort of started living together and renting and sort of thought, well, we're using all this money to pay someone's mortgage down and pay someone else's rent. Then why not save up and buy our own house and actually get into that first home and yeah, pay down our own mortgage, really, put our money into our own investment. <laughs> and one of the things that's, I'm sure you don't mind me saying this, one of the things that struck me about you two when I met you is um, you had on, you know, on just kind of normal incomes done remarkably well with saving a deposit and then not only that, done remarkably well in terms of paying your mortgage and you've been, you've been just putting everything you possibly can into your mortgage. What inspired you to do that? Because how does someone actually figure out that that's what they need to do? Honestly, I would love to be sort of um, not have to worry about money by the time I'm about 40-odd years old. Yep. Um, I'd love to have that sort of passive income and actually be able to do the things that we want to do, go on holidays and spend time with kids when we have kids and actually get Enjoy out and life. do things, not work nine to five for the rest of our lives and rely on that till we retire at 65 and, and to live off Kiwi Saver for the rest of our lives. And do you come from families that know lots about money and have lots of properties and, and so therefore, you know, you were helped out like that? I knew the answer to Certainly that, but not. I just wanted everyone else to know. Why are you hiding your face with your Sorry, pants? sorry, all right, sorry. I, I just wanted everyone else to know that because I think it's so impressive. And have you made any mistakes in property yet? Um, I think the biggest thing for us, I don't think we've made a big mistake in property yet. We're still starting out. We've only just bought our first house. I think that was a really good investment and we sort of picked a really good property. Uh, it's gone up in value well since we bought it and obviously COVID's helped with that. Yep. <laughs> um, and obviously we're just starting our journey into our first investment property. Um, probably the biggest thing that we've made a mistake on is renting for a year and a half. Um, I worked out, I think we spent about $35,000 over 18 months just on rent alone. Uh, we were silly enough to get a three-bedroom house for just the two of us and rent that for 18 months. So definitely one of the biggest mistakes we made in that sense. Now, Andrew, did you ask how old they are? No, I didn't actually ask how, how old. How old are you guys? Because I've seen in the chat people saying, oh, it's nice to see some young people. And I thought I was the young person, but perhaps not. <laughs> uh, I'm just turned 25 into last year. And I'm 23. We bought our first home just over two years ago now, our owner-occupier. What a beautiful thing. So in two years, you've gone from owner-occupiers, put, now putting your first property under contract. We'll talk a little bit at the moment about that in a second. By the age of 25, you guys are doing wonderful. I think that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Now, Andrew, why don't we talk about where these guys are up to within their property investment journey? Because we talk about this a bit in the book. So, so we often talk about uh, uh, the three stages of pr uh, property ownership. We talk about the starting block. So that's, uh, that's where you're first starting out, then running the race, then crossing the finish line. So just for any newbies listening, your starting blocks, that's when you're buying your first home and you're building your equity by either adding value to the home or paying down the mortgage as rapidly as possible. Then we talk about running the race. Now, this is when you start to build a portfolio and start to grow your wealth. So this is when you start to transition from owning your first home or your first investment to owning your second investment or your first investment if your first property was an owner-occupier. And then we talk about crossing the finish line. 
Now that's when you are uh, getting to the stage where you want to live off your portfolio. So you're either selling all of your properties and buying high yielding, or you're selling some of the properties to pay down your debt. And this is when you really get to live life. Now, uh, these guys, Maddie and Adam, fall into the category of running the race. So they've bought their first house, they've, uh, uh, they've contracted their first investment property. So they've got their first investment property under contract and under construction. And they're at the very start of that running the race. And um, I, I've known these guys for six, six months now. I am very, very confident that they're going to do a lot of running in the next uh, five years. So let's talk a little bit about the property that you guys bought. So um, this was a, um, a very well-priced um, property in Marcroft Street in Christchurch. So this is a two-bedroom townhouse. And have we asked, where are you guys based? Uh, we're based out in Woodend, just outside of Rangiru. So that's out by Waimakariri. Yep, in um, Canterbury. In Canterbury. So you've bought yep. in, in uh, the location that you've you've uh, that where you live. Um, I think the the reason for that was the affordability. It wasn't because it was close and that you're going to manage this property yourself or anything like that. This was just because price wise it was really good. Um, the rent. Uh, when we looked at that, it was $490 per week. And actually, there's been some upward pressure on rents in Canterbury. So the gross yield um, is 4.72, which is very, very strong for a, for a new build. So let me ask you guys this. Why did you decide to invest in this specific property? Um, definitely a uh, good yield was... <laughs> Um, definitely something that was a highlight for it um, and a good price really. Um, two bedroom, one and a half bathrooms in Christchurch. Um, I think it's sort of an up and coming area and it's going to hopefully do quite well in the next 5, 10, 15 odd years. Um, so definitely, yeah. Okay, so you liked the area, you liked the yield. And one of the considerations that we made is, again, these guys are starting out. They're going to want to grow a portfolio. They have um, got aspirations that are, that are strong. So what we want to do is make sure their purchases are at an affordable level so that we can repeat that process over and over again. Now, my next question for you guys is that in a very short period of time, you went from buying your first house to buying your first investment. Now, how did you know... Or how did you figure out that you were ready to take that next step after only a couple of years ago buying that first home? Uh, that's something we've definitely wanted for a while. And then after talking to Andrew and having our initial catch up and meeting and he helped us run all the numbers and go through and work out exactly what we needed and where we needed to be. Um, at one point, we did need to raise our incomes a little bit to be able to uh, match the affordability of it, um, which we got through in the end um but yeah after talking with Andrew and going through all the numbers it's sort of like well why not and just for any new listeners of the show so that's our earn baby earn strategy so what we did is we looked at um, what the bank would lend on current uh, mortgage test rates and uh the, the uh, Adam and Maddie's income wasn't quite enough to meet those test rates what we did is work out how much of a pay rise I'd need and they booked an appointment to, with their bosses and went in and said we want a pay rise. And the great part about this is now they meet the servicing criteria, but also they're getting more money every week. And then that extra money they can put towards their mortgage and pay that down even faster. So it's such a good tool to use if you're close to being able to make something work. It's one of my favourites. Now, I'm not going to ask you how much the pay rise is, even though that's probably what a lot of people are asking. But my question for you is, what was it like 
asking your boss for that pay rise? Um, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was really good, um, especially as you said, that extra income coming in each week was just a massive help. Did you, um, did you but, tell them what it was for? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was quite open and upfront about all that. That's awesome. And Maddie, for you, why are you wanting to invest in property? Adam seems quite into it. Did he have to twist your arm? A little bit, yeah. So one common question that we get asked all the time on the Property Academy podcast and Kira Dopas Partners is often one partner is very into property and the other one needs a bit of convincing. So Maddie, what I want to hear from you is how did you guys get on the same page? Because that's something a lot of people uh, want to know how to do. Um, well, we just started talking about it after work and became a regular conversation and turned into investing in a property. Was there was there some sleepless nights or was it quite um, nail-biting times for the first investment? I think so, yeah. Yep, which is completely normal. And I think that a lot of new investors that I work with, um, get, taking that first step is the hardest step you'll ever take in property investment. And every step you take after that becomes easier and easier and easier. Um, so I just think it's so great that you guys, and I'm sure it's going to be inspirational for any young, younger um, uh, viewers and listeners tonight to, to see that it's actually achievable. You've just got to yeah, start grinding a little bit. Question for you, Adam. Having gone through the process now of buying your first investment property, signing that contract, what would you want other people in a similar position? Or if you were to go back six months, is there any advice you'd give yourself or other people like you? Um, I suppose the biggest bit of advice is just put as much money aside as you can. Stop spending on little things. I mean, we spent quite a while not going out for dinner. We didn't get takeaways. We didn't go and do... Kmart shops and things like that and sort of buy these aimless things um, and we just cook dinner at home every night, just limited how much we spent even on our grocery shops, we dropped that right down and just watched every dollar that we spent and I think we paid off the car and yeah, it was an extra little bit of income we had. Um, even dropping the KiwiSaver down, knowing that we were getting into this um, portfolio and building up our wealth through that way, knowing that we'll have that investment later on in life and not necessarily needing to rely on KiwiSaver, we decided to drop our um, contributions down from 10% to 3%, and which that's a, was a good extra $80, $90 a week that we got just through that. And that's a really interesting comment because for someone like yourselves who want to retire or, or stop working or slow down working at a much earlier age than you're going to be entitled to take out that KiwiSaver, Having that extra money put in there just seems a little bit um, pointless, I guess. So we're going to have one question each before we move on to the next uh, next case study. Andrew, just to remind me, when did these guys put this under contract? Uh, I think it was about December last year from memory. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's about right. Okay, so December 2022, it's 13 months after the market peaked. Uh, throughout 2022, price is declining pretty substantially, and Christchurch probably down about 8 9%. Some places like Lower Hutt down about 28%, Auckland 22%. Why did you guys decide that now was the right time to buy an investment property? Ultimately, it's not something we plan on selling in the close future. Um, it's something we're going to, or we plan on holding long term. Um, so the price drop 
for a couple of years even maybe at worst case we sort of thought well we can handle that it's not it's just the equity inside the property to start with uh, i think the biggest cruncher for us was the high interest rates um and locking into some pretty high interest rates compared to what we've been on when we bought our owner occupier that we're in at the moment um and that definitely made a bit of a oh crap moment <laughs> um and scared us as we watched it go up every week on just yeah that was probably our hardest point and actually probably one of the interesting things i saw someone had asked the question it flashed up in the chat but just remember to put the questions in the q a um section so we get to them all at the end and we don't miss anything because ed and i aren't answering actively this time um uh this property is still under construction and it's due for completion later on this year. So um, one of the interesting things um, for, for anyone that's new is these guys have put down a deposit which they're paying interest on at the moment, but they're not paying the full mortgage. So you, uh, you can use the time between now and completion to put together, put aside even more money towards contributions later on. So you've got a bit of a buffer, which I think you guys are doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Do you have any other questions no. before we move on? Hey, thank you so much for being here, yeah, thanks, Adam and Maddie. It is so wonderful to have uh, uh, people like yourselves on here sharing your story. Thank you very much. So next people we've got on today is Nick and Christina. Nick and Christina, I'm going to get you to turn on your video and, uh, and your microphone so that we're able to hear you. Yeah, you've just um, are you there, Christina? I'm here, but you've disabled our video. I can't start it. Oh, oh it's me. I've messed up the tech. Let us just fix this. I can fix that for you. Ask to start video. Here we go. Oh, you're in the car. <laughs> These guys have been making a mad dash to get home after being at their friends, despite knowing that they're on the webinar tonight. Uh, and you've got your dog in the back. It's a cute yeah. dog. How good. How good. I love this. This is, this is there are you guys. So Nick and Christina, you guys are a little bit uh, further on in your, your journey. Andrew, uh, ask them some questions. Take it away. So tell us about the tell us about home life first of all and jobs and all those kind of things. Just just ballpark numbers. Um, yeah, basically full time work. I do about thirty six hours a week um at the minute. Yeah, what do you need to know? Do you need to know numbers? And what, what you, no, what no, no, no. So, um, uh, so Christina, what, what's the industry that you're in? Nurse at Nurse. public hospital. And and Nick, and what a, do, Nick, what do you do? Electrician. An electrician. And um, do you do you work for someone or are you self-employed? No, I have my own electrical company. So. Okay, cool. And um, and uh, where are you based? Christchurch. Christchurch, and um, do you own your own home or? Um... Yeah, no, we go. We own our own home. Excellent, own your own home, and we'll come back to your, your portfolio in a minute. So the wonderful thing, I love, I love you guys so much, by the way. Thanks for coming on the webinar. Um, one thing that's really cool about you guys is you're a little bit further on in your, um, what we call the race. And in fact, we'll just walk through a little bit of the structure of your portfolio. Let's just go through. So whereas uh, Adam and Maddie were a little bit earlier on, these guys already own some properties, which means that they're further along their race, closer to that crossing the finish line stage. Now your current portfolio, you've got your owner occupier and Nick, tell me about this piece of land that you own. 
Um, we so we sold a house that we thought was going to be our forever home um, until we realised we hated it after working on it for three years, <laughs> and then we um, bought a bit of land. So we're just sitting on a bit of land, but we've decided that. Um, that side of town is now not for us, so we're happy. We moved back into one of our rentals, which we decided we really like that side of town, and we're happy there. So now uh, we've decided to sell that bit of land. But we're going to develop it first. We're going to put a house on it. Well, we're deciding that at the weekend, aren't we, team? <laughs> okay, on top of we that... On top of that, you've got two investment properties and also two under construction. So six properties in total. This is really, really good going for a couple in their 30s. And I think it's a really beautiful thing. But one thing that's interesting, and we'll come back to the exact properties, is that you guys started out investing in existing properties and are now looking more at new builds, right? So talk to me about that change, because Nick, you were doing as-is properties, renovating them, and now you're looking at a more passive strategy. Why have you kind of decided to make that move? I got old. It's too hard work, Ed. <laughs> and interest deductibility, of course. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense as much. And so, because, and, and so um, uh, Nick and I know each other very well. We all know each other very well. So Nick and I um, uh, had some stuff that we kind of did together. Um, and some of them were really, really easy. And then the one that they're talking about, the owner-occupier property, that was very, very hard. So that was a deal that I negotiated that they ended up um, taking, taking off my hands. Um, do you regret that one? I wouldn't do it again. Tell us about that um, journey. One of the things that we have found is that we got so tied up in that project. It took so much of our time, money, and everything that people who are in our circle that we were maybe ahead of have now surpassed us and have gone into more doing their own developments of townhouses and things like that. Um, so I think ultimately for... Well, we did make a good profit on it. It set us back in reaching our targets that we have for ourselves for the future, like our passive income targets. Yeah, and it was, I mean, that was a mess. That was a project, a monster of a project. So this was on the hill in Kashmir and Christchurch. Um, uh, the rough numbers, rough numbers, what was the total project, the, the renovation cost on that one? Rough numbers. Um, I think... About eight hundred thousand and about five thousand of miles. Yeah. So the big cost for you guys was actually in the time more than it was yeah. uh, the money. Well, not the, not that eight hundred thousand is a small project anyway. And and that was, I mean, you guys were doing two full time jobs and then doing this uh, on the side, right? Yeah. <laughs> and if you think about even what a, sw a, a low charge that somebody might, might pay for an electrician, you know, we're probably talking 100 bucks an hour would probably be quite small in my mind. So you're talking about 5,000 hours. We're talking about half a million dollars worth of your own time, Nick, since you're a business owner. So all up a renovation speed of about $1.3 million. Now, the reason I wanted to bring that specific... Uh, uh, <laughs> Make sure Sorry the car's that. off. <laughs> Make sure the car's in park. <laughs> um, but the reason I wanted to bring that up is sometimes, um, and I've actually got some members of my team doing this at the moment, we think we're going to do a big renovation project on our own home and that's how we're going to move forward. Often these projects take a lot longer. 
Sometimes those projects are not as profitable as you initially think. And that's where you're saying, actually, we could have used that capital and our time to do something a bit better to move us forward. Have I heard that correctly? Yes, absolutely. What's your tip for anyone watching that, to be able to stay through, through a marriage, uh, through a construction project of that magnitude? Magnitude, thank you. It's been a long day. <laughs> what did you say? Um, a wine membership. That really <laughs> a wine club, how good. So what I want to do now, Andrew, is let's go through and talk about some of the properties. We'll start with some of your existing properties and then a new one that they've recently yeah, let's purchased. let's talk about this existing one, Nick. So take us through the numbers on this one and, and, um, and what you had to do for it. So that is before it was renovated or anything. That um, that was an as-is one. Um, so the engineer, it was way too heavy. So the engineer made me take all the bricks and roof and everything off. So it looks quite significantly different. It had quite a big renovation done to it. Um, so yeah. We probably overcapitalized again, which is our classic move. In, <laughs> um, but... At the time, we definitely overcapitalized just because it would have been such. We bought um, two set, two houses side by side down a lane, yes. and it would have been such a good opportunity to just fold them and do townhouses or, you know, a few more smaller um, dwellings rather than just two. We found that with like lawns and things like that, the one has a really big outdoor space, and tenants just it's too much maintenance really yeah yeah and um so so just for any uh new listeners of the show as well um and as is property in this instance that's an earthquake damaged property in canterbury that was purchased without insurance uh and then it was brought up to the building code and then um how much do you think you spent on on the renovations on that one i think a couple hundred thousand yep so definitely, definitely at the thicker end of the renovation, so, so, so making it really nice. Um, but again, these guys are my friends, so I can say this. That they, they like to make it very, very nice um, and, and then complain afterwards. <laughs> oh, Nick does. <laughs> we have tried, like, we do get really good tenants that never leave and love it and, and are really happy. Yes. Um, we did try one that we did fix up on the cheap and the tenants have been a nightmare and the maintenance has been a nightmare. So even though we do it and we spend more on it, in the long run, it's worth it. That's a really good point. And to be fair, you spent a dollar and made, a do and made another dollar. I mean, that's, that's a good return on investment in my mind. But now you've moved on to new build properties. And just before we get into the details, Nick, you said before the reason that you decided to change strategy a bit is because you're old. Now, <laughs> just explain for me a little more. What do you mean by that? I uh, you like I used to have heaps more energy where I'd love to like finish work and go do a renovation project or do stuff on the weekends. But um yeah, you can only do that for so long before your energy sort of like you don't have that same energy to do that all night and all weekend. And also so, I guess um, the other part to that, Nick, is that it limits you to your where you're living. Um and so 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 the one of these investment properties is based in Auckland. You couldn't do a renovation project in Auckland and and, and do the work yourself either. No. It would be harder. <laughs> yes. That's a negative one. 
So, Andrew, walk us through the numbers on this, and then we'll ask them why they bought sure. this one. Sure. So this is a development uh, in Glengarry Road. It's uh, known as Silo or Yabuka. I think I've used the numbers as an example before in a, in a webinar or a podcast. Um, purchased for eight sixty-five. Um, the rent on that one, uh, we've got that at seven ten now. So quite a strong gross yield particularly for Auckland, um, which is great. And this one's under construction at the moment due for completion. Uh, it's been pushed out slightly because of the floods, but it's mid middle to uh, later part of this year. And how many bedrooms are this one? Just because I've seen it come up in the chat. This one's a three-bedroom townhouse. Yeah, great. So let's stop sharing the screen. And let me ask you this, Nick and Christina. Why did you decide to buy this specific property? I uh, was recommended to us by Opus. <laughs> okay, okay. But you were recommended a number of properties. Why did you choose to buy this one? Yield, I'd say. Yeah, the yield. Yeah. Yeah, I think the yield I think also. something. I think one of the other big parts, because we actually did a big, we, we spent fr a Friday driving around Auckland having a look at sites, which I don't normally do, but because these are guys are my friends, we, we just made a day of it. And um, we went around quite a few different developments. Because Nick um, has a keen eye, there was one development that he went and he said, no, 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 this is terrible, I'm not happy with this one. Um, I would have been absolutely fine with it, but Nick's got a, a, a better, better eyes than me. Um, uh, this one here, um, we, looked at <laughs> we looked at the... Um, well, Nick wears glasses, you don't wear yours. We looked at the previous developments, uh, developers' history. We looked at the area and said it's going through some gentrification. Um, you can see that through some of the sh changes around the shops that are appearing uh, in the neighbouring area. Um, the site is just, I mean, the site was what did it, right? You're going to actually that site and seeing the big park across the road from it. You can see that that's going to be an attractive development when it's finished. The shopping areas, there was like a couple outdoor eateries and bars, yeah, and they were busy at the time, so yeah, it, it was all very appealing. Let me ask you this, you guys have been in property for a wee bit, tried a lot of things. What are some things you've had to change your mind about in property investment? Doing it ourselves, like giving up control has been a bit of a journey um like and just being okay with somebody else controlling like the ones up in Auckland we'll just go up and kind of see them maybe when they're done but maybe we won't even do that and just kind of being so separate from our projects which we're usually so involved in mm. and, and what about from a property management standpoint I mean, again, like we started out managing our own properties. And so it's been a slow progress as, as we've gotten more and more, we've had um, to given up the reins of that as well. And it is always a little bit tricky, but um, yeah, you just have to trust the people that you hire, I suppose. And also, I think as as you get older, you you value your time so much more, particularly your spare time when you when you can relax. Um, and so so knowing that it's one less thing for you to worry about uh, is probably is probably a, a, a worthy cost nowadays, right? Oh, definitely worth it. Yeah. And Nick, I'm going to come to you now. What's something you've had to change your mind about in property investment over the years? Um. It was just figuring out, like, we bought 
one that was like a big home that we thought would be a great rental but just wasn't like we didn't see the return it and I, we sold mm-hmm. it like just that we were having for the tenants so we ended up selling it and then if we waited another year we would have made heaps more on it it was just bad timing it was just before covid that we sold it and then and it was that like four bedroom two lounge kind of rental um like bigger rental and sold it right before covid and then eight months later those properties were going for over a million dollars and we sold it for 610 so that one hurt a little bit And we're going to ask you now, we've probably got time for two more questions with you guys. My first one is, what are some of the mistakes you've made along the way? That if you could, if you had a time machine, go back a couple of years, other than the ones you've already mentioned, go, go back a couple of years, what are some of the mistakes you wish you'd avoided? Um, definitely, instead of doing, like, doing townhouses in um, that, Baker Street property that we were talking about rather than just two larger houses on larger sections. Um, Maybe not being swayed by other people's, like maybe I think we should have stayed true to how we do renos. And I think that would have saved us some headaches in the future or now in the past. But um, what do you mean by staying true to your renos? (laughs) <laughs> doing a really nice renovation, keeping it really like probably overcapitalizing, but um, like doing, keeping it tidy, clean, new paint, like new carpet, rather than trying to kind of do it on the cheap. So things like if you've got a property where the carpet is ju- absolutely fine, just needs a clean, rather than just clean it, you've replaced it in the past and maybe it wasn't necessary. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, like we, we tried to, we had one where we um, thought like the kitchen was outdated because the colours were like old colours. So we like replaced the whole kitchen to make it look updated because it was like such a centrepiece of the house. But in the end, like, I don't think people that care about like if the kitchen's new, it's more the overall of the house and, and the money that we spent just wasn't worth it and sell it for any more. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on and talking to us. I know that just seeing some of the chats coming up, people really appreciate hearing from other people. So I tell you what, I'm going to get you to stop sharing your video right now. We'll let you guys get on home for tea and we're going to bring Kathy and Alan on. Kathy, unmute yourself, bring yourselves on. Oh, Kathy and Alan, <laughs> my most painful of investors. <laughs> you can't say that. Oh, you dude, can't dude, say dude, that. Kathy works with us now. Um, not Alan, not Alan, actually. Just Kathy. I'm just conservative. No, 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 no. It's not that. She just does whatever she wants anyway. <laughs> So one thing that's really important to mention is that Kathy has joined our team here at Opus Partners, works as a financial advisor. Uh, You guys who have been listening to the Property Academy podcast for a while have probably heard Kathy on there. But tonight we're just going to hear from Kathy and Alan specifically about their property portfolios because they have had a bit of a wild ride over the last couple of years, if you don't mind me saying. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> so, Andrew, take it away. So, Kathy and Alan, tell us a little bit about your, yourselves. Um, so, yeah, Alan, um, I'm a national technical manager. I work for a, a company director. I work for an agricultural company in New Zealand. Um, Kathy obviously works for Opus. Um, I'm turning 54 next week. Uh, Kathy said she's early 50s. <laughs> just um, turned 50, I hear. 51. Just, yeah. yeah, just not the 50. So two kids, uh, Callum, who's 23, and Ashley's 21. Callum's a mortgage advisor, and Ashley's a student uh, down in Otago. Yeah. Um, we live here in Dolphins Beach. What were you doing? Because we, when we first met, it was as investors. It wasn't, it wasn't you weren't working uh, with us at that stage. What were you doing back then? I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, yeah, so that was in 2007 that we met with you. And... Um, Pardon? 2007? 2017. 2017, yeah, that we met with you guys. Um, I was just going from being self-employed and um, as a result of our conversations and checking where we were going to go, I actually went into full-time employed work um, and Alan was still with a company that he's still with now. And had you invested before that or was it new to you? Well, yeah, we hadn't actually invested on, on purpose. I guess we um, we came in South Africa. We were on our way back from the beach when we were probably about 23 and ended up buying an off-the-plan one-bedroom <laughs> apartment. Um, and uh, we had that for about eight months, and then I got transferred with my job to a different part of the country in South Africa. And um, so we realised at that stage, offloading a one-bedroom apartment probably wasn't a great idea. Um, but what we did do in South Africa, they have uh, stamp duty, a bit like they have in Australia, and the company was going to pay that. So what we did was buy a house in, uh, in Cape Town. Uh, couldn't afford to live in it, so put some renters in there. And uh, in the first month, they didn't pay the rent, so um, <laughs> it was a challenge. So, yeah, we've probably been investors from those days, but not, not for the right reasons. Not intentionally. And we, we did that so that we could eventually live in the house, and we eventually moved into that house and spent all our money trying to pay that debt off um, and then came to New Zealand. So your first real property was as a rent vester. So you bought, you carried on renting and then you rented that property out uh, with the goal of being able to hopefully afford to move into it one day and you did that. Yeah, we did. And then we just put, sacrificed heaps just to put our entire salary, my entire salary into paying off the mortgage because that's what we thought you had to do, pay down debt. And that's what we focused on even until we came here, we bought, um, uh, we sold the place in Cape Town, managed to buy a quarter of a do-up here in um, Auckland and did some renos on that. Um, but same thing, just try to pay down debt as much as possible. Um, and then we wondered, well, where do we go from now? Um, and we decided, well, let's buy a batch. And we had a meeting with our mortgage broker and she started telling us about, don't really think you should buy a batch have you heard about this crowd called Opus Partners? And um, we thought, well, we better have a look into our retirement planning. So that's when we met with Andrew. Now, we're going to come back to the, the holiday home part in the batch because um, I, I, I've still got opinions on that. But walk mm -hmm. us through, Cathy and Alan, why are you guys investing in property? You've, you've built a portfolio now. What's driving you to do it? I think um, when you look at the age of the way we were brought up, I guess, 
as kids was just pay down your mortgage. And you soon realize when you just pay down your mortgage, that's what have you got to live on if you're just living in the house and you've got a bit of Kiwi saver, it's not really enough. So I think it really real driver is um I guess I guess wealth creation so we can retire and travel and do the things we want to do. Well hang I on, I don't know if Kathy's gonna retire. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I she's am. still too young. <laughs> um one of the things that um I think is the main driver to our goals, but also to what I um like to pass on to the people I'm working with is financial independence. Um, most of the time we talk about um, wanting to provide for our families and do all of these things. At the end of the day, the biggest gift that we can give to our children is financial independence. Um, we're in a situation where we're supporting both, you know, a set of parents. Um, and if we can be independent at retirement, that's the gift that we can give to our children. And I know that's something you've brought up a couple of times, Kathy. Um, we've you're almost part of the squeezed generation where you're supporting both your parents, but then also you've got your kids as well at the other end. So uh, building up a portfolio, eventually you guys will be able to retire and have that space for Kathy and Alan, rather for, than for these uh, you, both sets of parents and then the two children as well. I think the other thing it is not. Um, I think we were very scared of debt. So that's why we just wanted to pay it down. And I think all our lives, you know, our life would get better once we pay down the mortgage. So I think that was an eye opener realizing that you could actually leverage once you have paid down some debt, leverage your that with the banks to use their money to buy something. And, um, and if you can afford the top up, then stop the takeaway, stop the going out until, until you can afford it. But uh, that was the way to do it. And I think that's a really common uh, mindset for people uh, your age. They, they think you've got to pay down the mortgage first before I start investing. Now, the problem is the closer you get to needing that money for retirement, the shorter runway you've got for capital growth. So the longer you leave it, the more expensive the property is and the less growth you're going to get. And so um, it's it's great if you can actually switch that mind um, to to okay, it's okay to have some debt, and actually Ed and I did a podcast that will come out next week on good de good debt versus bad debt because it is a foreign concept and it's not something that you're taught in schools. That's that's it. I mean, if you think if we had done, if only we had done what Adam and Maddie had done, you know, we did buy our own occupant early, but we just had no, we just kept on thinking about paying down debt. That's all we were concentrating on. Whereas we could have leveraged, and our, I suppose our biggest regret is that we didn't start earlier. We only started this journey, um, you know, in 2017. So if we'd done it earlier, we could have. We didn't actually realise that we could have. And I think that that's probably been the biggest um, assistance is just having a pathway to know how do we get um, into, onto the investment ladder. And that's probably a great place to start thinking about your portfolios as well. So walk us through, Andrew, uh, Kathy and Alan's portfolio. Obviously, they are further on in their investment journey, much closer to the finishing line. Talk us a bit through the uh, structure of their portfolio. So at the moment, they've got their owner-occupied property and a holiday home. Now, <laughs> Kathy did ring me about the holiday home. I said, no, you don't want a holiday home. More investments, more investment. They bought the holiday home and it's done remarkably well, which is a bit annoying. Um, then they've got two investment properties at the moment, which is awesome. And they've got another two properties under construction. Um, and do you want to talk about kind of where that's got you in terms of the wealth gap? 
Yeah, so basically um, one of our um, main drivers of these two new builds, um, I did get a little bit carried away, um, <laughs> but was to close our wealth gap. So um, our, our aim, you know, what we worked out our goals with um, right from the very beginning. I've got this little brochure here from when we first sat down um, and our goals have pretty much tracked on with that. And these two new builds will help close our wealth gap. So at retirement, we'll be on track to achieve those goals and, and the, retire. And so the awesome thing about that is it's, it's only been six years since we met. Uh, and and you have officially closed your wealth gap, which is just amazing. Yeah, um, no, that is, yeah. Now, let's talk about uh, this first property, this one in Papamoa Beach. Tell me about that one. Oh, so is that, that what it looks like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been very hands-off with these properties. Um, so this one, um, uh, we, well, we've obviously built these, uh, bought these as um, off plan. Um, they were uh, supposed to be completing within months of each other, six months of each other. The one completed early, the other completed late. They ended up settling within days of each other. So that was for Alan and I being very conservative in our first investment properties. We absolutely freaked out, um, but that was all good. It all worked out really well. And um, at the time when we met with Andrew, he showed us five properties. Um, one in Rolleston, one in Papamoa, one in Auckland. One in Wellington. Wellington, and then I think another one in Auckland somewhere. And I probably one of our biggest regrets is that I wish we'd bought all five because they actually would have done all really well. Um, and that, um, but we decided to go for the Papamoa property and the Rolleston property. Both areas were completely, there was nothing there when we went. Um, I remember going down to Christchurch and going driving to Rolleston and it was just millions of paddocks. And I'm thinking, where is the investment property? What have we actually bought? And still saying to Alan, I don't know what this really is. Is this actually going to even happen? I mean, what have we done? Um, and it felt quite unreal, but we just carried on with the process. And hey, presto, we've got those two little um, standalones, which have been awesome. Yeah, I think the interesting thing part uh, interesting part here is if any podcast listeners are thinking, I've been hearing about Rolleston for the last three years, this was three years before that, um, when Rolleston was barely even on the map, and that was an area that we'd identified for potential future growth uh, and population growth, and we're recommending it back then. Um, so so it's it's that one's done okay for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it sure has. Yeah. Now, yeah. that Papamoa Beach property, there were some things that went on there that would have caused a bit of stress. Can you talk to us about that? Wasn't that the, that's the Rolleston one? Oh, I that was a Rolleston one. one, the, I one think. The, the meth. The meth. Tell us about the meth issue. <laughs> yeah, so we, um, bad, bad move. I know Andrew and Ed always talk about using professional people to do your, to do your stuff, be that accountants, insurance, and, uh, Kathy thought she could do the insurance on her own and cut out the broker. Because he was the pain. And yeah. so I thought, I can do this myself. I'm just going to do the insurance. As a result, um, when our insurance rolled over, we were actually in South Africa, and so it didn't get renewed. And then our um, what turned out is our tenants had a bit of a fight. Uh, they moved out. We didn't know that possibly we're doing some meth in there. They just smoked meth in there. They weren't cooking it. And... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it turned out that uh, when I had to phone up the insurance people, they said you're not insured, and uh, and then they wouldn't insure the other property in Papamoa either 
because of we for whatever stupid reason. So what? And uh, so that was an I'll never forget. It was Easter. Bef- it was the Thursday. day before Easter Friday. I think I yeah. phoned Andrew and said, "I've got a problem. Can you help?" And uh, Andrew did. He put a- us onto a really good mortgage broker, and funny enough, got us. Insurance. I mean, sorry, insurance broker, and got us onto um, who got us into this exact same company who had refused us. So yes. we were all covered, and everything was tickety boo. Yeah, that was one of those panicked phone calls. It's funny because for for people that um, you, you say conservative, but it's been great because you've been, you've been prepared to take some risks and go outside of your comfort zone. Now, unfortunately, you've had about everything that could go wrong go wrong. <laughs> um, um, but but um, Alan's still got his hair and Kathy's wrinkle free, so you must have some secret. <laughs> 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 Did you say that joke just for me? No. So walk us through um, the next property then, because there's another one that I want to talk about, which is one you've currently got under construction, uh, Papatupu Way in Kumu. Now, Andrew, talk to us about this. So this is a property under construction. It must be almost finished now, Kathy. is it? Yeah, it is. It's basically completed. They're just waiting for titles to come through. And I actually got a photo, I think it was from Cathy um, last weekend, um, uh, walking out there and, and saying how cool it looks. So purchase for a million dollars, yeah. rent of seven seventy a week, uh, so gross yield of 4%, which is about standard uh, what we look for. Um, tell us about the journey with that one, Cathy. Um. Well, so I con- so by this stage I was working at Opus and um, seeing you know now obviously I've been always now really um, excited about property and seeing these amazing properties come past our desk, I got um, very excited about these Auckland properties and at the time it was November twenty twenty one where everybody was going crazy, interest rates were low. Um, property was the flavor of the month and people like me decided that this was the time to um, buy the Auckland properties and so I was trying to decide between the Kumi one and the Tiara 2 one um, and we couldn't really decide um, and ended up putting a contract out on both and then I think if you Oh, Step back a bit though we were also we, we wanted to diversify so we Obviously, had a place in Rollison, a place in Pomoa, but Auckland is quite hard to get into. Um, and I guess this was our chance. You know, you either got to jump in boots and all. So I think that was also part of the reason we wanted to get into the Auckland market, which is not as easy to do, you know, in terms of what you've got to front up with. And so I think that was part of the strategy that we've now got, I guess, a more diversified portfolio. And one of the things, uh, just before we, we wrap up as well, is that I know that you purchased these, we just said in November 2021, that was the top of the market, right? So, Kathy, since <laughs> then, the Auckland property market as a region is down about 22%. Uh, this specific part of Auckland where you've bought it is nowhere near down, down that much. Yeah. I think it's less than half that. So uh, this property hasn't fallen by 22%. But you did buy at the top of the market. Now, in retrospect, how do you feel about that? Do you feel, are you beating yourself up because it was the top of the market? Or, or how are you feeling? Well, we were told that when we bought Papamoa and we rented it out and the, the, the lady said, oh, you've bought it at the top of the market in 2017. So I'm hoping it's just the same thing for Auckland, which I'm sure it is. Just got to hang around for a bit longer. That's right. 
And at the end of the day, I mean, yes, do I, you know, I, I, I did think, oh, you know, what have we done? You know, but at the end of the day, um, it's only relevant if you come to sell it. The properties haven't even settled yet. And yes, we bought them at the so-called peak, but we never had any intention of selling them straight away anyway. They, they are long-term gain. And it's the same as, well, the properties um, when they when the market was really high, I didn't then go rush out and sell my other ones either. So it's it's only relevant when you come to sell a property as to what the value of the property is. Up until then, it's an income generating asset and it's there for the long term. So that's the intention. Um, you know, we've been affected by all sorts of tax legislations, et cetera. And you just got to roll with the punches. I mean, there, there'll never be a perfect condition where everything's in place. At the time we put them under contract, the interest rates were low and the price of property was high. Now the price of property is low. You would think that everybody was going to rush over themselves to buy property. It's just because the interest rates are slightly higher now. And it's such a, it's probably good that you've had those little blips along the way because now you've had another blip and you've just gone, you know what, it's okay, everything's going to be all right, and you know to weather the storm. And I tell you what, in 15 years' time when you start selling off assets, you'll think, oh, that made some good money out of that. Didn't matter that it was the top of the market right then. I think the yeah. other important thing is that it's really good that you guys are in this mindset because it's something that's really easy to say in terms of wanting to hold for the long term, but it's a little bit harder to get your mind right when that actually happens. Uh, we expect storms to come up, we expect bad things to happen, but going through them is, is, is a different thing altogether. It's not the same as just thinking about it theoretically. Yeah, I think the other thing Ed, is, is we've probably also lived and maybe the, the younger ones haven't lived through high interest rates. So that house we bought in Cape Town started at 11% and went to 19%. Uh, so interest rates at whatever they are, six and a half now is um, for us is actually, we're not that scared of it, to be honest. That's, I guess it's a slightly different mindset as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, team. I'm going to get you, you to uh, stop sharing your video now. And we're about to get into question time. But one thing that I do want to say just before we get into that is hopefully by this point, you're hopefully looking at some of these guys. And if you're not already investing, hopefully you're thinking, they're like me, maybe I could do that. And one thing just before we get into question time that I want to mention is that there are two ways to find investment properties. You can DIY it, going on Trade Me to find properties yourself, or use a property investment company. And every single one of the people you've heard about tonight have decided that, hey, they're going to give using a property investment company a bit of a try. Now, because of that, I know some of you have heard this for probably the last uh, 40 webinars we've done, but for any new people, I just want to let you know what that means. So the way a property investment work, uh, the way a property investment company works is that they'll first of all create a property plan for you using a, a piece of software usually. We use My Wealth Plan here at Opus Partners. They'll then find new build properties for you that you can invest in and then hold your hand throughout. And it's really important to be transparent and talk about how property investment companies get paid. Here's how it works. Often, you as the investor are not paying a fee. Instead, you'll go and work with a property investment company. They'll have arrangements and relationships with a whole heap of different developers. Now, if the property investment company can find the right development and the right developer for you, and you say, hey, that's a great investment, that's where they are going to earn a fee from the developer. So that's why most property investment companies out there uh, will not charge you a fee. 
Now, of course, Opus Partners, we are a property investment company. And the reason I say that is I still get people stopping me on the street saying, Ed, I love your podcast, but I've got no idea what you guys do. So that's why I say here at Opus, we're a property investment company, but we are just one of many property investment companies around. We aren't the only one in the market. But there are four reasons why people like you've heard tonight or heard from tonight might decide to use us. First of all, we're using a lot of research in order to make informed decisions. On top of that, we've also got a process for checking to which developers we work with and which ones we don't. And if you want to learn more about that, there's an entire article from our Head of Compliance on our website. On top of that, we use spreadsheets to find the best properties, decide which of the five that Andrew shows people are actually any good or potentially not. And also a lot of help if something goes wrong. And uh, in Kathy's situation where they lost insurance on their properties, that's a perfect example of where things can go wrong and where you might like a bit of a help on the way. Now, as I said before, a property investment company often won't charge you anything. So what I want to do is, I, for anybody new here, I do want to offer you the chance to come in for a portfolio planning session. That's where you'll work with somebody like Andrew or Kathy who's going to help create a plan, pick some properties for you, and hold your hand along the way. So I will give you that opportunity in a second, but what I do want to say is this, is, this isn't right for everybody. It's right for some people, but not for everybody. So if you're keen to invest in property in 2023, if you're open to new builds and want to work with an advisor, this could be a really good fit for you. Now, it's not going to be the right fit for people if you're not looking to buy an investment property, it's also not going to be the right fit if you want to reno, though that doesn't mean that we don't want to help you. If you do want to renovate, we've got whole services for that. And it's also not going to be the right fit if you prefer to do it yourself. So what I want to do just briefly is I'm going to put something across your screen that says, are you keen to book in for one of those complimentary portfolio planning sessions? If you think, why not? Give it a go. Click the top button that I'm about to put across your screen. Uh, we'll give you a call to book in that session. If it's not the right fit for you, no worries, then just click the bottom one and you won't get a call and then we're going to get into question time. So I'm going to put that across your, your screen uh, now and then uh, if you're keen, top one. If you're not so keen, click the bottom one. No worries either way. Isn't it good hearing from those people? Again, I just want to thank the uh, people that came along to talk uh, tonight because um, uh, new investors like to hear from existing investors to hear that it's actually not all, all smooth sailing. Sometimes things go wrong and sometimes things can be hard and scary, but it's achievable if you give it a go. I think the other thing that I do want to say is we are always looking for people to share their stories. And one of the things that often puts people off is thinking that they're going to have to share exactly what their salaries are and exactly, you know, everything about, about their lives. And often the main thing people want to hear are the stories and the things that went wrong along the way. And so what I am going to say is if you are an investor, whether you're working with Opus Partners or not, then I'd love to hear from you if you'd be willing to share your story. Uh, whether that be on the podcast or the other thing is, is often getting Opus investors um, just sharing a little bit about their experience with us so that other people might have the confidence as well. Now, just before we wrap up, I've got a couple of parish notices. <laughs> uh, first thing is, if you don't already, you might like to listen to the podcast. Every single day, we release a new show. Episode 1272 went live today. 
Of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel is good. We release two new videos every single week and we've got over five and a half thousand subscribers there. Uh, just Google Opus Partners YouTube. It'll be the first thing that comes up. You've got to subscribe to that. And our book is now finally available in bookstores uh, or you can also purchase that from wealthplanbook.com. Andrew, you probably were nattering about that on the podcast for about three years. I was. I was threatening that we were going to write a book and then we actually wrote a book. Uh, and uh, everyone will be pleased to know if you're a, if you're an audio listener or audible listener, um, we are doing the finishing touches of the audio book this week. Uh, I'm doing my parts uh, to complement Ed's parts and then it'll all be put together and hopefully out later this month. So we're going to finish that, uh, oh, I won't promise that it's going to be in March. No, it's going to be this month. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Andrew's going to finish his parts uh, uh, this month on Thursday actually and then we'll have it edited. I expect it'll be out in April. Um, last couple of things. We do have two in-person events coming up as well. One in Christchurch, one in Auckland. This is going to be for first home buyers, trying to help more people become like Maddie and Adam, get into their first homes. Uh, so that is at the end of March 29th uh, for Christchurch, and then also in Auckland, March 30th. I'll just track down those uh, those links and pop them in the uh, pop them in the chat. Uh, we'll also send them out via email. Right, we're going to head into question time now. And the great thing about this is often uh, often people will stick around for up to half an hour uh, talking about some of these questions. Andrew, I'm going to pull them up here. And can you read that? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, the first question is, how to service a loan for an investment property uh, and your house? Uh, is, is the salary increase the only way? Um, so, so um, I can't read the name there. Is That's uh, Nemu. Nemu's asked, how do you actually service a loan for an investment property and your own personal mortgage? Um, well, remember, when you have an investment property, you also have rental income. Now, it is unrealistic if you're borrowing 100% of the purchase price for an investment for the rent to cover all the costs. It's unrealistic right now with interest rates the way they are. Um, but if you buy a property with a deposit, Sometimes you can have the rent cover all the costs, or if you're prepared to make a contribution towards the, the costs uh, for the first five to ten years, then you can absolutely buy rental properties in New Zealand where you'll make a contribution, the tenants will pay the bulk, uh, and, and that'll get smaller over time. Uh, next question. The next one comes from Vishal, who says, how to choose the first investment property in this market? Should we do a new build or do a do-up? So uh, to answer this, it depends a little bit on your skills. I think we've got articles on our website. If you've got skills, uh, expertise, time and money, and you, when I say money, you need more money for a do-or-upper. You need a bigger deposit, twice the deposit you need as a percentage for uh, an existing property compared to a new build. And... Uh, you need to have the renovation money, generally speaking. So that's probably a consideration for most people. Then, like Nick and Christina, uh, they've managed to use his skills to be able to do a lot of the work themselves. If that's you, then absolutely you could do a doer-upper. Just be aware that there are major tax implications with buying existing properties. So you really have to, what we call cash flow hack, to be able to make it a worthy uh, investment. I would suggest this, though. I met with some nice investors today and we were talking about that as an option. We ran through the numbers and worked out what sort of rent they'd have to um, get to be able to achieve that. It's, it was so much higher than what they expected. They've just decided 
you know what, I'm just going to buy a new build, be hands off and spend time with my family. Now, there's a really good question in the chat from Kevin that I want to get your thoughts on. He says, we have always been told to get a 10% gross yield. Anything like that, anything less than that is a waste of time. How do you make a 4% gross yield work? Uh, so so if you, you can absolutely achieve a 10% gross yield if you're buying a high-yielding property. So what that means is it's going to be very unique with who you rent that um, property out to. It would probably be something like a student accommodation, a room-by-room -room rental, or it might be a dual-key apartment. And actually, to be fair, I don't think 10% is that achievable nowadays unless you're doing major renovations. I might be wrong, but um, I, I haven't seen that for a very long time. Or if you're buying in a very small region. Now, what you sacrifice when you buy those type of properties is capital growth. You, you will always sacrifice capital growth if you buy a high-yielding property because of the limited market for resale. Now, it might be that you're in that stage of life where you're looking for income off your portfolio, so buying high-yielding is right for you. For a lot of investors watching tonight, you're looking to build wealth. So buying for um, uh, growth, so you build wealth in the future, you're not going to be getting anywhere near a 10% yield. And just walk us through, Andrew, at what stage was a 10% gross yield achievable? What, what stage year? Oh, um, back when I started investing 19 years ago, you might get a 7-8% yield without doing any renovations. I think the key thing here is that over time, yields have come down. And sometimes you'll read older books that might have been published a couple of decades ago, articles written a couple of decades ago, that will give specific numbers, and over time, those will become less relevant in that specific market. Um, this is something that I specifically thought about when we wrote our own book. But the, the point was that uh, you often put so much data into books to make them relevant for today, knowing that they might become less relevant over time. You can actually go on our website and look at the yields all over um, uh, some of the main regions and hover over areas and see what is and isn't achievable based on current data. Yes, sorry, that is actually available. I was just making sure it was. Now, he has got a great question about Adam and Maddie's case study. They said, have they paid the deposit on the new build from equity built over the last two years in their owner-occupied property? Uh, the answer to that, I'm sure they don't mind me saying, is yes, they have. Excellent. Uh, there is another question here that I'm going to throw to you. It comes from Janice. Janice asks, I've found that new builds have less land. Have you found that this impacts the capital growth? Well, um, actually, um, Janice... Um, because I've been investing for a long time, I have preconceived ideas like a lot of investors out there, one of which was you need to have lots of land to be able to get capital growth. Now, then in comes Edward Christian McKnight a few years ago um, as our economist, and he challenges me on everything I say like that. And then he goes away and he does research and pulls a bunch of data, and turns out I was wrong. So there's a great article on our website talking about how land affects capital growth and does it affect capital growth at all? Now the short answer is it does if you're talking about owning an apartment versus a house or a townhouse, but when it's a townhouse or a house, generally speaking you get similar capital growth. Yeah, based on the numbers that we ran at the time, uh, there was no statistically significant difference between uh, the amount of land. And I think some of the reason is that there are factors that impact capital growth, but then there are some factors that don't. And the question is, is always this, is the factor that I'm going to look at help my property double in value more quickly than another property? And for some, for some factors, the answer is no. So for instance, let me give you an example. 
at the moment you pay about an extra 20% to buy a house in Auckland compared to a townhouse. So townhouses are quite substantially cheaper. But the question is, am I, is my townhouse going to double in value at a slower rate than my house? And not substantially is the answer. You, you will buy a property cheaper, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we, they are going to double in value at different rates. There's a great question here from Carol Andrew that I want you to answer. She asks, was contributing to KiwiSaver at 10%, which is quite high, a key part of Adam and Maddie's deposit building strategy? Now, I didn't help um, Adam and Maddie with their first purchase. That was something they did themselves. Now, I imagine they probably did put 10% into their KiwiSaver to raise the deposit for their first house. Now, remember, their employer would still be contributing just the 3%, but that's a total of 13% of their gross salary going into what is locked-in savings. So that probably was used as a strategy for building their deposit for their first purchase. It didn't come into play for their second purchase because they'd already used their KiwiSaver funds. They, they were building up more because they carried on those 10% contributions. But then when we had the conversation about that not being accessible but by the time they want to um, retire or, or ease back on and live off their portfolio, they decided, well, they didn't. it's not worth putting extra money in there. Katie asks a great question. My parents are 54 and 59. Is it too late for them to build a passive income through property investment? Do you know, I was just watching last night on TikTok before I got into bed, Edward and I, with a, um, uh, a TikTok that we'd done where we were talking about exactly this. Um, without knowing all of their details, my answer is it's better to have something for a short period of time than nothing at all. So probably, we like to say that 10 years is a good minimum time frame to own an investment property. So what that might mean is if they buy a property today, they might not sell it for 10 years. So they're going to have to... Um, self-fund or use the superannuation for that first part of their retirement. But even if they have a property for the, the 10 years, again, better than nothing. Okay, I'm going to come to some of the questions that have been uh, more recently asked. So there was a great question here, which I haven't read, but let's just assume it's a great question, uh, from Michael, who says, Red Vesta here, I've got one property and desperately want another. Serviceability aside, how can I borrow more than 60% against my investment property? I've been thinking of non-banks or I move in as an owner-occupier. Are there any other options? This actually is a great question. Uh, they are your two options, Michael. So if you move into that property, then you can borrow up to 80%, normally speaking, maybe a little bit more if you use a non-bank lender uh, or just use a non-bank lender straight off the bat. So we've got another question from Andrew. Uh, is Wellington now more affordable than Christchurch? Generally speaking, no, not. No was the answer. Um, Jacqueline, <laughs> uh, there's some great data, by the way. If you want to check it out, uh, our property markets page is excellent. Uh, New Zealand property market update, Opus Partners. Google that, you'll get it. It's a great thing. Uh, next, we've got a question from Jacqueline, uh, who says, would it be better to invest in a new-built townhouse or a new-built home, like, say, a three-bedroom, in order to increase the wealth? A uh, new built house or a new built house. Um, I, I don't think there's anything to support one going up at a faster rate than the other. Um, have you got anything to add to that? Not particularly. Once we get over one bedrooms, uh, you see no significant difference between a two bedroom and a uh, and three or four bedroom properties. There's a really good article on our website 
Shall I just... Oh, let me Google it, Andrew. There's nothing bad in your search history, is there? Oh, yeah, maybe I'll just clear that. No, no, no. <laughs> so if I Google Opus Partners, um, maybe Bedroom, what happened? Opus I'm glad, I'm glad that sounds part. really bad, doesn't it? That doesn't sound good. Uh, but if you go to... Oh, this is an excellent article. One versus two versus three bed properties. Which goes up in value fastest? Um, you can see all... Oh, I love this one. God, I love this graph. So this shows how fast apartments have increased in value based on the number of the bedrooms. And what you can see here, Auckland, one bedroom, 4.7%, two bedrooms, 6.5%. One bedroom, Wellington, 4%, two bedrooms, 5.3%. Same thing for Christchurch. And so key message here is that in this case, we're seeing two bedroom properties increase quite substantially more than uh, one bedrooms. Do we have, oh, this is what I was looking for. Um, now oh, I've run the gosh. data here, looking at um, flats, so townhouses, looking at do one bedrooms significantly de increase in value more slowly than others? And what you can see is, generally speaking, like look at Auckland. Yeah, once you get above one bedrooms, it's actually pretty similar between two, three and four. And then of course you want to consider your yield as well. So there are a whole lot of things that we consider when we're looking at a development and saying yes this is a development we would recommend to investors or no it isn't. Um, the numbers are a big part of that and obviously if you are working with a property partner we use the return on investment spreadsheet but if you're doing this yourself that return on investment spreadsheet's freely available on our website and you punch in all your data and it'll give you a result. Okay, so next we're going to come to uh, Remy, who says, "What kind of salary do we? What kind of salaries have we talked about here?" Uh, this gives us the type of investment I can relate to. Love you guys. I actually think the better um, uh, answer to that is we've got a podcast coming out this week that we did uh, we recorded just on Monday, so it's coming out very soon, where we used our investment ready spreadsheet and we ran through some case studies of different people with. Um, different incomes, different debt levels to find out if they were in a position to invest um, because we're not going to share people's income from tonight but we gave some really good examples and um, the last example was really interesting because it was a, um, a case study of someone with um, a, an owner-occupied, two investment properties wanting to buy their third and the incomes were much less than probably what you'd expect so keep a listen out for that, it'll come out in the next few days. I think what's fair to say though is pay attention to, to the types of work that people are doing so uh, Adam and Maddie. You know, 23, 25, working at Pack and Save, you know, I wouldn't expect them to be earning in the six figures each. I'd expect it to be much more normal. Uh, you know, the average wage in New Zealand is about 65 grand at the moment. So it might be a little bit more, it might be a little bit less. I personally don't know, I haven't looked at their financial situation. If you think about uh, the last couple of guys, we're talking with Kathy and Alan. Um, he's been in the workforce for, you know, three decades, so has she. Um, they're both working professionals, so would you expect it to be in the six figures? Yeah, I'd expect them both to be in there a uh, little later on in their journey. And one thing I would add to that is when you're um, starting out, um, you might have to map out when you buy your properties because as time goes on, your personal mortgage goes down, um, your income goes up, your food, each property is probably a little bit easier as time goes on. Kerry Ann's got a question that we'll answer. Is your investment property set up as principal and interest or an interest-only loan? 
Mine, personally, uh, everything's interest only. I think for a lot of investors, it's interest only, particularly while interest rates are high and you're, you're any, any top up that you're making, you probably don't want to make any additional payments to principal. You um, told me that one of yours went principal and interest because it rolled off and you oh, didn't that's notice. True. That's actually true. It's still on principal and interest. Is that, um, I'm the that chief fact finder. That one's for sale. Um, but uh, generally speaking, most investors will be interest only to keep the contributions down. Let's come to Robbie. Robbie asks, newbie homeowner here, does equity directly place replace a deposit? I.e., do we need to save any deposit or can we just put money into the mortgage for now, use that equity to buy an investment? Do you want to cover that? No. Okay, so for every dollar you pay off your mortgage, you can generally speaking, subject to lending criteria, take that back out for a deposit. Bear in mind though, you've got to have, have 20% equity in your owner-occupied house. So I'll give you some rough numbers. Say you had a $500,000 house, um, you, have to, you can't borrow that top 100,000, you can only borrow a maximum of 400,000. So if your mortgage is 350, you can borrow 50. Now, uh, j just a shortcut as well. Uh, one of the things that uh, I got distracted by a data question. Yeah, <laughs> the answer is generally uh, that most investors we work with pay down the mortgage and don't use a cash deposit for property. Uh, there are some. There was actually a very good podcast we did on this uh, recently. Yeah, I think it was uh, look through companies versus trusts. Um, we spoke about that. Um, speaking on it, uh, it was released in the last week. Check that one out. There was a great question from. I'm going to butcher your name. Sorry. But I'm going to say it's Ed, Edgita, maybe. Edgita. Uh, sorry about that. Um, curious with regards to any of your data involving housing types. Are units new, uh, included in the townhouse category? I notice you don't have a category for units. Yes, so that's correct. So when I'm running my data, and this is possibly only interesting to me and you, but that's okay, we'll do it anyway. Um, I usually take units and include them in the townhouse category. That's for a couple of reasons. The first is that different councils around the country, and of course there are about 67 of them, they will uh, classify some townhouses as units and some units as townhouses because there's no consistent uh, category around the country. So uh, Wellington City, somebody might go say something's a unit, somebody in Lower Hutt might go and call it a townhouse because it depends on what the council assessor deems it to be when they go and give the bill, uh, go and do code compliance certificates. I believe or it, could be, it could actually be at the time that the resource consent is given. So because there's no common standard around New Zealand, I lump units and townhouses together. So you can assume that's always the case. Uh, the other thing is that uh, 20 years ago, there weren't a lot of townhouses being built, uh, because it, but there were a lot of units being built. Because of that, I lumped them all together because they're a very similar type of product. That's a Chris, really interesting question. Chris's? Where's Chris's question? Oh, Chris. Chris says, I'm a builder by trade, specifically doing reddos. So my go-to is to buy a doer-upper for some quick gain. But I see more and more info leading towards a new build. We only have equity in our own property to use so what should I do? Should I, or what would you lead towards? Of course, we can't give personalised financial advice. Should uh, sh should we think about doing a new build? Should we think about doing a doer-upper? So Chris, it's a little bit hard without knowing your exact situation. So if you're selling properties and you're, you're doing essentially where it flips, then that could be part of your income that you then use to buy other investments. But I've worked with a number of builders and um, one thing I would say is they always regret taking their time and doing these projects um, because every time that they every minute that they spend on their renovation projects is a minute that they're not earning money. So people like Nick, for example, who are 
more than capable to do projects themselves are probably, when they're working with me, leaning towards uh, being hands-off and then also getting into uh, areas that are not necessarily available to them otherwise. Um, again, Nick's based in Christchurch. It's very unlikely for him to do a renovation project in Auckland, but Auckland is an area that I'm highly recommending for investors right now. So it depends what you want to achieve. I think your time is probably more valuable doing other things. So um, uh, if the passive strategy is something that interests you, that could be something we could help with. Rogan's got a great question. Do you guys offer property accountant services for investors? Yes, we do. We have a subsidiary company called Momentum uh, Property. And if you go to our website, you can, oh, let me just show you it actually. It's, it'll make it better if I just show you. Uh, if you go to our pricing page, you can see all of the services we offer down here. So we've got a mortgage broking service, property management, and also property accountant. If you click on here, you'll be able to sign up for that. Uh, there was another question that I saw from Suze that I wanted to answer. Suze asks, is a new build still a new build for interest deductibility purposes if you're purchasing it secondhand, but it was built within the last year? The answer is yes. So if the code compliance certificate was issued uh, after 27th of March 2020, then that will be a new build for tax purposes. You bring up a really good point, Suze, that I want to just uh, point out for everybody else, though. Let's say that she was buying a uh, new build property, and it might have only just been built, but she's purchasing it not off the builder, not off the developer. Uh, and so Andrew signed up for a property. I decided to purchase it off him but he's just bought it off somebody else. That would not be considered a new build in the bank size. So there's two things. There's for tax purposes and then for lending purposes. Now that, that means that you need twice the deposit that you would if you were buying direct from the developer. However, there is uh, some instances where there'd be what's called a deed of nomination. So when you're nominating the contract from one person to the other. So if I signed up with Mike Greer Homes and then I was nominating that contract to Ed, that is still a new build in the bank size. But you do want to use a mortgage broker there because it can get a bit complicated and sometimes banks don't think it's new. Uh, we're going to, uh, you are, I just, I will answer this actually. Nate's asked a great question. Right now, standard new build is about 4.7% gross yield. What would the equivalent reno need to be in order to make the same cash flow? Uh, to be honest, Nate, I don't have the numbers right to hand. It's a great question. If somebody reminds me, um, I'll make sure that we do a the podcast podcasts. or I'll run the numbers yeah. on it. Uh, let's go for Marcus. Marcus says, I'm listening to the podcast start to finish uh, this year. Loving so far. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, I just hit 700 on the way home today. How long is the total length of audio out of interest? Well, they're about, five, well, Ed, get your, Ed, get your calculator, your favourite tool. Um, yes. Right, um, so go 1276, was it? One, two, uh, they're about Times 12 15 minutes. minutes. No, they're about 12 minutes each. Uh, uh, divided by 60. Okay. So Ed and Andrew. 255 uh, hours. 255 hours. No wonder that? you get grumpy. You've spent so much time with me. Well, it's, it's 10 about, days. It's 10 hours of audio. Now, bear in mind. 10 we, days. 10 days of audio. Is it? 10 yeah. days of audio. <laughs> now, bear in mind that um, we actually record for a lot longer than that by the time uh, we go in between and, and um, some stuff gets cut out. If Andrew won't let me tell my jokes. <laughs> um, we've probably got time for two more questions. What are we going to do, Andrew? Uh, uh, um, oh, that was a good one. Um, there is actually an article on our website about interest only versus principal and interest. Makes it really easy to understand for anyone that's a new concept to them. So um, look, search for that in the uh, articles section. 
Okay, this is a good one. Scott asks, I have got a high-yielding investment. It's an Airbnb, but the banks won't lend to me to invest further because they're not going to count my income from my Airbnb towards serviceability. Can you help, or is this just a consequence of uh, Airbnbs <laughs> and how good that um, uh, that 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 <laughs> face just appeared in the uh, thing? Um, good I'm, that you got home though, Nick. Uh, uh, so, Scott, I I suggest using <coughs> excuse me a mortgage broker. If you use a normal rental assessment to show the bank that this is what would it would be on normal rents. So long as you work on servicing there, they will count that income some of the time. Or you could use a non-bank lender again. Uh, now I'm going to come to final question, and I'm going to take it from Mark, because he's just asked it in the chat. He says, I've been gunning for mortgage-free by 50. I now realise it's quite an old-school approach. So in my case, he's got a $1 million property, 700k of equity. Does that mean he could release 80% of the equity, that 700k equity. Yeah, subject to the bank. No. What? Yeah, but listen properly, Andrew Nichol. Oh, sorry. No, because he Was said, it one mil of equity? He says he's got 700k worth of equity. Yeah. Can he release 80% of the equity? Oh, oh, no, you can release up to 80% of the value of the property. So if the property, again, if the property was a million dollars and you owe... Uh, uh, sorry, 80% of that is 800000 If you owe 200000 Well, he owes 300000 300000 then... <laughs> uh, Why are you uh, laughing then, at me, Andrew then, uh, you've got 500000 of usable equity. Um, I'm just going to answer, uh, answer Mitchell Kay's question. Can you purchase more than one investment property at a time? Absolutely. Um, people do it all the time. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up there, but what I do want to say is we are always looking for people to come on the show, uh, the podcast, uh, for Opus Investors, we're always keen to see if we can do things like this as well. Uh, we're about to release a new website and are looking for uh, uh, people to jump on video, do some case studies with us as well, uh, which we'd always appreciate. If you are interested in that, send me an email. My email's ed at opuspartners.co.nz. Um, I read everything, so always appreciate your questions, comments, thoughts, uh, and if you are willing to be a case study, uh, we always like that because people want to hear from people like you. There's only so much that people want to hear from us, and we, no. already, and we already put a lot out there. So we're going to end it there. Thanks so much for being here, and thank you to our three people, Adam and Maddie, Kathy and Alan, and Nick and Christina. Thanks so much, team. Thank See you guys, you guys later.